title of my sermon is Homeschool, and that'll make sense here shortly. The big idea, home life, is for the glory of God and the good of the church. Now, if I ask you this question, what would you say, do you remember your first school? And there's really a right answer here. It should be the home. I'm not here advocating for homeschool, by the way. We've homeschooled, uh, where our kids are in public school right now. But regardless of whether you homeschool or do public school, if you're a believing family, you should view the home as a place of education, a place of teaching, a place of training. Amen? It, it needs to be a place of intentionality. The home is where children are to learn the gospel and the importance of godly authority. We do family worship, and when I talk about myself, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. You know, the, part of the pastor's vocation is to be an example, to model, okay? And so, you know, we do family worship every day, but I like to take my boys and my little girl now on walks. We go on walks, and that's an intentional time of instruction, of teaching. We talk about doctrine, we talk about the gospel, we talk about life, and how to make sense of life through the lens of Scripture, Again, families, the home is a place of what? Training. And I hope you see it that way. Again, our passage, Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and your mother. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. That, and here's the promise, this is interesting, and we'll come to this, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So, very quickly, let's give some context. Where are we? Where have we come from? The fifth commandment, this is number five, of how many? There's ten. Okay, so the fifth commandment brings us into the second half of the Ten Commandments, where the focus switches from the vertical, right, meaning mankind in their relationship with God, to now the horizontal. These are kingdom rules, and that's kind of the, the mini-title that I've given this section. So think of the Ten Commandments as God's kingdom rules. Okay, so God rescues his people and he means to rule over them, and he does that by his word, and this is the word he gives them, right? The Ten Commandments. This is important. God's kingdom refers to God's saving rule over his rescued people, and what we see in the Ten Commandments is that his rule has both a vertical and a horizontal application. God graciously rescues his people into a family, a body. How, and this is important, how his rescued people interact is meant to reflect and reveal his rule. Meaning, the horizontal is to bear witness to the vertical. And that is commonly taught in Scripture. One example, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, by loving each other, What? All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So the horizontal bears witness to the, the vertical. Now, why the order? Why the particular order in the Ten Commandments? Why the vertical before the horizontal? Why does God start with man, his rescued people, in, his, in their relationship with him, and then moves on to just their relationships with each other? Why you shall have no other gods before me before honor your father and your mother. Philip Ryken notes, love for God must come first. I hope that makes sense. Love for God must come first. We cannot truly love one another unless we love God. If we do not respect God, we will not respect one another. So we can hardly begin to keep the last six commandments until we learn how to keep the first four. Now, what have we learned up to this point? I'm going to quickly summarize commandments one through four. It's really important. God's rescued people, this is commandment number one, are to give because they've been rescued, right? God gives his word to his rescued people. Rescue precedes the giving of his word. And because God rescues his people and he gives them his word, what does he expect? What does he demand? It's not just an expectation, it's a demand. God's rescued people are to give their sole allegiance, their undivided allegiance to the one true God, the Lord, who graciously rescued his people 
out of slavery for his glory. Secondly, God's rescued people must worship God according to his word. And so in the first two commandments, we see worship God, but how to worship God. The first two commandments teach us who to worship and how to worship. Next, God's rescued people must lift up the Lord's name reverently and represent his name faithfully. And finally, and this is the climax of the first half, finally, God's rescued people must regularly gather for the purpose of worship. And we do this, we saw this last week, we do this to prepare for our eternal rest. Again, why do we gather on Sundays? To prepare for eternity, amen? We are preparing each other for life forever. And in a very real sense, when we gather, we are to preview what is to come. We are to show the world and really one another, this is what we can expect in glory, amen? God's people together under God's rule, singing, praising, serving. Again, as we saw last week, the fourth commandment represents the climax of the first half. It's our appropriate response to the first three, because the fourth commandment is a call to worship. Now, why is context important here? What is expected of Israelite parents up to this point? Adherence to commandments one through four, right? Adherence to commandments one through four. Parents who do one through four are going to generally parent better, right? They're going to parent well. Now, oh, I love Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. So good. We see a similar order in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. The focus in these verses, I'm going to come back to this later, is on the parent's task of faithfully instructing their children in the Word of God, okay? However, what's implied is the child's responsibility to come under this teaching. And furthermore, before the command to instruct is given, parents are reminded of God's authority, God's salvation, God's worth. This is their subject matter that they're to pass on to their children. And we see the same thing in Exodus 20. Let me just read Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. This is the Shema, because it begins with the Hebrew verb, Listen, Shema. Listen. Everybody say Shema. You're speaking Hebrew. Great. It means listen. It's a command. Listen up, people. God is saying, listen, Israel, my rescued people. Hear, O Israel, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The one true God, the Lord who has rescued his people, is worthy of his people's complete and total allegiance. Parents who internalize these truths, or better yet, who have them internalized by the Spirit, will inevitably parent better. Now, although the fifth commandment is addressed to children, it certainly applies to parents as well. The Bible has a lot to say about parenting. It's true? A ton. A whole book is written on the issue. We'd say Proverbs the importance of parents instructing their children in godly wisdom. All of this must be taken into account with the fifth commandment. Remember, these kingdom rules are addressed to God's rescued people. How are rescued parents expected to parent their children? They're called to imitate their heavenly father. His love should be seen in their love, his kindness and their kindness, his discipline and their discipline, his grace and their grace, and so on and so forth. Clearly, the parent's role, especially within the family of God, was and is to represent God to their children by coming under his word. And I fear that some parents in the church may quickly throw this verse, Exodus 20:12, in their children's faces without considering the implications of it for their own life as well. You're going to honor me no matter what, but... Parents, what are we called to? Don't forget commandments 1, 2, 3, and 4. Parents, therefore, sorry for me that kid cry. Parents, therefore, are a means of grace, a visible, intangible example of godliness for their children. One of my favorite New Testament scholars is D.A. Carson. The only thing I have against him is he's Canadian. I'm just kidding. But he's a Canadian. Uh, he's been in the States and also in Cambridge for a long time. But 
Uh, he teaches in Chicago, and he's written some really important commentaries on uh, the Gospels, Matthew and John, two of my favorites. But D.A. Carson, he wrote a book on Paul's prayers, and it's called Praying with Paul. And in this book, he begins by talking about his dad. And I, this is my favorite part of the book. I mean, the way he talks about Paul's prayers, the way he unpacks him, it's so helpful, so good, so applicable. But he talks about his dad. His dad was a pastor of a small Baptist church in Canada. And he talks about his dad's example. He said, my earliest memories are of my dad getting up before everyone else and praying. He prayed for at least 45 minutes every day. I don't remember a time when he didn't pray. And I thought, what an example. What a legacy. What did D.A. Carson remember about his dad? He prayed. He went to the Lord. Amen? That's a huge example. Praise God for that. Again, parents are a gift to their children and vice versa. In our passage today, parents are being called to put commandments one to four and really all the rest on display for their children. Essentially, parents are called to demonstrate what it looks like to come under the saving rule of God. Now, we see this same emphasis in the New Testament, places like Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, and we'll come back to that. But where are we headed today? Let me just kind of paint a picture. This is our trajectory. This is where we're going. We're going to divide our time into two parts. Part one, we're going to examine the general principle behind the fifth commandment. What's the fifth commandment all about? What is God trying to teach his people here? Next, we'll look at the specific application as it pertains to children. And then third, we're going to look at what does this commandment mean for parents, okay? In part two, we're going to examine the specific language used in the fifth commandment to highlight the promise made. God makes a promise in the fifth commandment. We're going to look at the means by which we obey it, right? I mean, God gives us a commandment, and the next question is, how do we do it? Then we're going to look at why we do it. And then finally, we're going to look at how Christ has fulfilled the fifth commandment. Amen? Christ has fulfilled the fifth commandment. And I'll finish with a few application points that we can look at. Okay, so in sum, what does the fifth commandment mean for children? What does it mean for parents? What's promised? How do we do it? Why? How has Jesus fulfilled it? That's where we're headed. Part one, the general principle. What is the point of the fifth commandment? What is the Lord seeking to teach his people? This is in your notes. You can look at your notes if you want to. The fifth commandment is meant to teach God's people the larger principle of submission to authority. Is submission to authority important? And for me, that's become a bad word. Submission? I don't like that word. God, and I would say graciously, places authority figures in our life, from parents to teachers, bosses, even governing leaders. But we first learn, again, this is why I talked about homeschool, right? as that first school, that first place of education, that first place of training. It's the home. We first learn how to submit and obey from our relationship with our, our parents. Tim Chester writes, Obeying parental authority is the beginning. Obeying parental authority is the beginning of respecting authority in general. If children, this is really good, if children don't learn to respect authority in the home, then society will be chaotic. Even more significantly, we will reject the authority of our Heavenly Father. Parents, and I have some questions for you. Are your children learning this in your home? Are they learning how the Lord has ordered His world? Authority is good. Authority is biblical. Has your parenting helped your children to see the goodness of authority? Or has it resulted in a bad taste in their mouth for authority? Are they, are your children, parents, learning to come under the authority of God by coming under your authority? Now, Augustine, who died a long time ago, but I'm thankful for some of these dead guys, because, again, they're alive with the Lord. But Augustine said, if anyone fails to honor his parents... Is there anyone he will spare? And we would say, probably not. As a youth pastor for nearly 15 years, as a youth pastor for nearly 15 years, 
I learned quickly that students that failed to respect me and their leaders on Wednesday nights when we gathered had learned poor habits long before this where? In the home. Again, a proper view of and understanding of authority begins in the home. Number two, let's look at the specific application. Again, the, the general principle is this. The first or the fifth commandment is meant to teach God's people the larger principle of submission to authority. That's number one. Number two, the specific application. Children are to honor their parents. That's it. That's, that's what we're learning here. Children are to honor their parents. And parents should what? I mean, parents should, they should expect this. They shouldn't be surprised when it happens. Like, oh, wow, but they should expect this because it's taught clearly in God's word. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Now, what does the word honor mean? It comes from the Hebrew verb, and I'm sorry that I don't have a mnemonic device for this. I could probably think of one, but it's bavev. That's the verb, bavev. It means to be heavy or weighty. It means to treat with great respect. It means to acknowledge the significance, the importance of something. You know, as a child, I quickly learned on Christmas morning that the heavier the present, the more significant, right? It's like you, you're kind of, okay, that's socks, that's clothes. Uh, it sounds like a ball. Whoa. Like, I'm, I'm 12, but I'm putting on my back brace. Like, this is weighty. It's significant. The point is this. A child's treatment of their parents is of great significance. It's heavy. It's a weighty matter. Amen? So what does it mean to honor our father and mother? It's commanded in Scripture, so is it important? I mean, hopefully we agree on that. I mean, so, hey, if you're a kiddo, still living at home, raise your hand. Young, young people, living at home, right? You're, you're not pounding the pavement, working a job, supporting the family yet, but you're at home, under your parents' roof, they're, they're supporting you. Okay, I'm going to be speaking to you a lot today, okay, kiddos? Cool? All right. John Calvin's helpful here. He gives us three words. Calvin, he says, honor concerns three things. The biblical word honor against weighty, right? Bave, it's, it's weighty. But the three things that honor typically concerns, you ready? Reverence, obedience, and gratitude or thankfulness. Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. Children, if you're honoring your parents, what should be seen in your relationship with them? Reverence, which is another word for respect. Obedience, which is doing what they say. Gratitude, being thankful for them, right? I mean, you should be thankful for your parents. They're a gift from God to you, meant to instruct you in the way of the Lord. Children must recognize that the office of parent is one that God himself has established and installed for the overall health of the family. God's will. <laughs> That's a weighty phrase, by the way. Whenever you hear that, your ears should perk up. God's will. Whoa, I want to know that. That's important. God's will is for children to revere and respect. God's will is for children to revere and respect their parents, to obey them, and to do this from a position of thankfulness or gratitude. So, kiddos, one more time. Raise your hands, kiddos. Living at home. Again, if, if, if you weren't, you probably wouldn't eat and survive. Because you're not living with me. I'd take you in. I would. Children, is your relationship with your parents marked by respect, obedience, and thankfulness? Children, do you value, do you value your parents seeing them as a gracious gift from God, given to you to teach you God's word and to model the Christian life before you, I mean, what a blessing that God puts such people in our lives. Amen? Children, are you thankful? And parents, this passage, and, and I like what Paul prayed, but this passage should motivate us to be parents worth honoring, right? Worth imitating. Every night at bedtime. I don't think I've ever missed a night. Maybe I have if I was gone. But I usually call in to tell them night anyway if I'm gone. Every night at bedtime, I tell my kids this. Follow daddy. As I follow Jesus, and we'll follow Jesus together. Lord, help me.
Children, where are you? Raise your hands again, children. I, I just want to make sure you're paying attention. This is really important. This is for you. Children, do you prize your parents' wisdom and advice? Like, do you value what they say? Or is it like, ah, what do they know? They're old. They have gray hair. Man, come on. What does the Bible say about gray hair? It's a sign of wisdom. Come on now. Your parents are a treasure trove of wisdom. Listen to them. Do you value what they say? Do you seek them out for help in navigating life? Life can be hard. And parents are there to help you navigate this world, to make it in this world by pointing you to the truths of Scripture. Again, recall the book of Proverbs. Solomon holds up parents as a treasure trove of wisdom for their children. Proverbs 6, 20 and 21, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart. How often? Always. Tie them around your neck. We've asked our parents, I sent out an email last night, I hope you got it, list the 10 things you want your kids to know and listen. We're going to make these really cool necklaces, and kids, you've got to wear these the rest of the school year. Who's in? I'm just kidding. But seriously, kids, students, go to your parents for wisdom. This honors them. It honors them. All right, kids, one more time. You with me? Good? Come on, Colton. One hand. There it is. Thank you, bud. Children, are you showing affection and love to your parents? Do you let them know that you love them and that you're grateful for them? Do you express gratitude for food and clothes? Or is it, ah, you know, they should be doing that. Well, yeah, they should, but they do it because they love you and they care about you. And you should tell them what? Thank you. Thank you, Mom and Dad. That meal was great. I mean, if your parents work, I mean, they're working all day, and they're coming home, they're feeding you, they're taking care of you, I mean, tell them thank you. That'll go a long way, right, parents? Tell them thank you when they feed you spiritually with the Word of God. Oh, hey, listen, if you have parents, and it's never going to be perfect, by the way, right? But if you have parents that are committed to doing family worship with you, and it might just be five minutes every night, they're reading some scripture, they're praying for you and with you, tell them thank you because they're trying to feed you spiritually, that's huge, kiddos. Children, are you consistently showing respect to your parents? Is this being communicated by your words and your actions that you respect them? Now again, this commandment is not conditional for children. Meaning, it doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they parent perfectly. There is no such thing. It simply says, honor your father and your mother. Children must learn to do this, and parents must learn to expect this. Amen? <clears throat> Children, where are you? One more time. Good. Now, you guys are getting it over here. Yes. Obey your parents the first time they ask you to do something, and obey them with, and I tell my kids this, a happy heart. Obey them with a happy heart. Convey to them your gratitude, your thankfulness, and pray for your parents. Pray for the Lord to give them the grace and the strength and the wisdom to parent well. Now, kids are really going to perk up now. When not to obey your parents? <laughs> I saw kids like, what did the pastor just said? When not to obey my parents? Now listen, I think you'll understand what I'm saying here. And I'm waiting for Aaron to form tackle me off the stage. When their word goes against God's word. And we see this principle laid out for us in Acts 5. When Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel, they're preaching Jesus, and at that same time as they're doing that, the religious authorities charge them to stop. But they're preaching Jesus. They're preaching the good news. And those in positions of power say, stop doing this. And their response, we must obey God rather than man. Parents are an authority figure. They are, yes, established by God, true, but they're not the ultimate authority. They're not. As one brother said, if your parents command you to do what God forbids, or forbid what God commands, you cannot and must not obey your parents. And I'm thinking here of children who have maybe unbelieving parents. Maybe you're a teenager and you're a Christian. This was pretty common in Washington. A lot of our kids in the youth group, because again, Washington, where we were, was the most unchurched area in the U.S. 
And so a lot of our kids in high school that got saved, their mom and dad did not gather with us on Sundays. But I said, students, even in those cases, you must still seek to be respectful to your parents. Let me give you one story. We had a young Asian girl who got saved in high school. She was a senior. Her mom and her family were strict Buddhists. And her mom said, you better not get baptized. You will not get... And she was, she was vehement. I mean, she was, this was serious. And she knew this would affect her relationship with her mom. But she said, Mom, listen. And she was so sweet. And Haley discipled this girl. She said, Mom, I love you, but Jesus is my king. And he calls me, commands me to get baptized. And I respect you and I love you, but I have to obey Jesus. And she did. And she did. Amen? That was sweet. Let's keep moving. So we talked about kids. Kids, you're kind of, you're not off the hook, but I'm not going to focus on you as much now. Please listen, because this is for your parents, right? What does the fifth commandment mean for parents? Parents, number three, are to train up their children in the, in the word. Now, as always, context is important here. Parents have already been tasked with helping their children to remember God's saving work on their behalf, right? I mean, throughout Exodus, parents are charged to help their children to remember God's great rescue, right? Pass it on, pass it on, remind them through festivals, through celebrations, what God had done in rescuing his people, lest they forget. And as parents, as Christian parents, we are charged with the same thing. Don't let your kids forget the gospel. Tell them daily, weekly, constantly about God's saving mission through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Exodus 13, verse 8 and verse 14. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Verse 14, and when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand. The Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Passover was meant to be passed on to one's children. In the same way, parents, we must constantly pass on the gospel, God's great rescue event through his son Jesus to our children. Parents, pray for and look for opportunities to bring the gospel before your children every day. Now, as mentioned earlier, parenting well is implied in the fifth commandment. The object, the object of children's honor. Who are they called to honor, by the way, there? Their parents. So the object of children's honor is their parents. These parents have a wonderful and unique responsibility. Parents who have come under God's saving rule have been tasked with instructing their children in the Word of God. And as mentioned earlier, it is important that parents have already internalized these great truths before bringing them to their children. Here's here's the point, God. Here's the principle. We simply cannot give our kids what we don't know. It's true. We can't give our kids what we don't know. If you don't know the Word, can you give the Word to your kids? If you don't know the deep truths of God... Can you give the deep truths of God to your kids? If you don't know the gospel, can you give the gospel to your kids? Why do we study Christians and learn the scriptures? Because we love God. Amen? That's the primary motivation. But a second motivation is so that we're better equipped to train our children. Right? I I met with a young man last year. He came to me desperate on a Sunday after a sermon. He said, brother, I need help. I know, I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. And I said, okay, tell me more. I need to disciple my kids, and I don't know how. And I said, let me disciple you so that you can disciple your kids. And guess what he's doing now? Because he's studying faithfully the Word. He's in the Word. He's gathering with the church. What is he doing now? He's teaching his kids. Amen? You know, I've known parents... I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not even mentioning anybody in this room. But I've known parents who spend thousands of dollars every year to make sure that their kids get the best training in baseball. Pitching coaches, hitting coaches. I mean, that's a huge investment. Thousands of dollars every year to do this. And yet, when it comes to the far more significant spiritual training of their children, they're unwilling to put in the same effort. 
Lord, help us. Let me, let me take us to Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7, because I said I would. So let's go to Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. Let's read this together. This is really good. And I sing this to my kids every night. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And Clark knows, in these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Let me break this down for us. In verses 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 6, we learn that the Lord, the Savior of Israel, is the one true God. That's called doctrine. He's the one true God. He's the Savior of Israel, and that God who saved Israel, who entered into a relationship with them, a covenant, is the one true God. So what does this one true God deserve? The proper response to this one true God, who alone is Savior, is to love Him with every fiber of our being. So, if you're looking at your notes in verses 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 6, we have revelation and response. Revelation. What is the revelation? What is this passage teaching us? One true God who is Savior. One true God who is Savior. What's the response? Love Him with everything. Love Him with everything. In verses 6 and 7 of Deuteronomy 6, we learn that this message, one true God, love Him with everything, must be passed on to our, to our children. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It is to be internalized and exemplified by parents first, and then it is to be taught diligently to children. Now, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word used for diligently denotes the idea of saying something again and again and again, and we call that what? Repetition. And it's for the purpose of emphasis. That's the image conveyed by the numerous activities. This should be going on when you sit, lie down, walk, and rise in the different contexts, in the house or when you're walking by the way. Parents must be committed to modeling and Teaching. Everybody say modeling. Teaching. Namely, you don't have to repeat anymore. Modeling godliness and teaching the gospel to your children. Think of it this way. If you're taking notes. Your life as a parent should answer two questions. Wow, really, Chris? You're going to distill it down to two questions? My life, my vocation, my job as a parent? Two questions? Yes, I am. Unabashedly, unashamedly, confidently. Because of this passage. What does the gospel mean? What does the gospel look like? What does the gospel mean? What does the gospel look like? What does the gospel mean? What does the gospel look like? Teach it and practice it. Teach it and practice it. Instruct it and model it. Teach it and practice it. Give your children good theology and then model godliness. Give your children good theology. Give them truth and then model truth. And do this consistently throughout the day. Amen? Man, if you're not pumped about this, parents, you need to meet me in my office. I'm serious. We've looked at the implications of the fifth commandment for children and parents. We've done that. I hope that's been clear. Now, let's look at the specific language used in the fifth commandment. This is part number two. Number four, the promise. Now, guys, we can't overlook this promise. It's pretty big. Attached to the fifth commandment is a promise of blessing. What does it mean when it says that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you? Whoa, long life. That's a great promise. I mean, no one here is going to say, I want to die tomorrow. Paul didn't even say that. He knew death was better because he could be with Christ, but he said, yeah, I got things to do. The church needs me. There's more ministry to happen. Life's a blessing. I'm going to keep preaching. What is the promise? Well, there's both a specific application and a general principle to be gleaned here. This promise applied to Israel in the promised land. Are we Israel in the promised land right now? 
No, we're not. Okay, good. This was more of a corporate promise, meaning that if Israel kept God's covenant, if Israel remained faithful to the Lord, they would dwell long in the land of promise, right? It goes without saying. And if you don't believe me, let's just go to Ezekiel. (laughs) Here's what we see in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22, write that down, verse 7 and 15, is that Israel's captivity, their exile, was the result of their failure to honor their parents and thus honor the Lord. Because in failing to honor their parents, who were they not honoring? God gave instruction, honor father and mother. They didn't do that, therefore they weren't honoring who? The Lord, and therefore they were kicked out. Now, what of the more general principle? Okay, <laughs> I, hope, I hope you get this, guys. Obedience to the fifth commandment wasn't necessarily a guarantee that a child would see their hundredth birthday, right? Instead, it was the promise of blessing upon God's people. This amounts to peace and joy in the home. Without obedience in the home, there can be no peace. Is true? Parents, are you with me? When kids are acting crazy and they're not obeying and they're not honoring, is there peace in the home? Of course not. Now, parents make this easier for their children when they follow the Lord's instruction for their own life. Amen? They make it easier by not provoking them to anger. By not provoking them to anger. By bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And by teaching them the mighty truths of God's word. One more quick word on this promise. Paul himself quotes this same promise in Ephesians 6, verse 3. And surely Paul, Paul is looking forward to a better land, right? The new heaven and the new earth. God's promise of future glory for his children is wonderful incentive for obedience now. Amen? We obey now, kids, because of what's to come. We want to honor our king who's coming back. It's true. Who's ever heard the phrase household codes? Maybe you have some of those codes in your own home. What's a household code? It's a really hard thing for me to say. I'm not sure why. I struggle with it. Household codes. Hold and codes, maybe because it almost rhymes. Anyways. Paul presents, this is Paul in the New Testament. Paul, if, you, if you've read Paul, who's read Paul? Some of, what are some of his letters? Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Romans, right? If you've read Paul, Paul, throughout his letters, pretty consistently presents the church with numerous household codes. This is what life in the family should look like. He talks about husbands and wives, and he talks about children and parents and those relationships. Why does he do that? Do you know that wasn't just Paul? If you read writings from the Greco-Roman world, this was common speech. This was common instruction, because The Greeks believed that if the home was healthy, society would be healthy. That home life was a microcosm, it was a small representation of societal life. I think Paul's making the same correlation. There's a correlation between a healthy home and a healthy church. You show me a healthy church, and I'll show you a church where in the homes, parents are faithfully teaching their children the Word of God. They're modeling godliness. Husbands are loving their wives the way Christ loves the church. Amen? Who wants a healthy home? Who wants a healthy church? If you want a healthy church, what should you seek? Healthy home. Parents. Children. we got work to do. Amen? And here's the encouragement. The means. How do we do it? Okay? This is point number five. The means and the reason. When someone tells me to do something, I want to know why and how. How do I do it? Why do I do it? The Lord tells us. Amen? It's not just, hey, get to work. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> how do I do it? He graciously says, okay, here's how you do it. Here's why you do it. Oh, thank you, Lord. What do we call that? That's grace. That's grace all up in your face. That is so good. How do we do the fifth commandment and why? Now, Paul quotes from the fifth commandment in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents. Here's the phrase. Underline it in your Bibles. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord, for this is right. It's right. Honor your father and mother. This 
is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, even unregenerate, unsaved children, because of God's common grace, have the ability to obey their parents. I mean, no Christian teacher would just tell their kids in the classroom, hey, are you not saved? You don't have to obey. I don't expect that. No, of course not, right? We expect that even of kids who aren't saved because of God's common grace. But what about the phrase, in the Lord? Who is Paul writing to in Ephesians? He's writing to Christians, by the way. He's writing to a church of believers. The phrase, in the... Now, this is answering the question of how. Hey, kids, look at me. Kids say, how... How do I obey mom and dad? Okay, good. The phrase, in the Lord, most likely refers to those who are in the Lord by faith. An expression commonly used by Paul to express union with Christ. These are believers. He's talking to believing kids. Paul is addressing Christian children. The language of in the Lord refers to their relationship to the Lord. Not only that, but the language of in the Lord denotes means. It answers the question of how. In in fact, we can't separate the two. Those who belong to Christ are now privy to the power of Christ. They have access to the power of Christ. If you're in Jesus by faith, you have access to his power to live differently. Is true? I mean, don't we believe that the gospel provides forgiveness and transformation? We are able to honor our parents because of our new position and new power in the Lord. Now again, if you're not a believer, young person or people, you're still expected to do this. But if you're a believer, you have the power. Because again, not only are you expected, you need to do it, but now this is what the gospel does. When you have the Holy Spirit, now you want to, right? Something happens inside of you as a Christian. You now want to obey the Lord. Are you going to do it perfectly? No, but when you don't do it, how do you feel? Convicted because I didn't honor my king. Why honor and obey one's parents? Why do that? Christian children should obey their parents first and foremost because their allegiance is to Christ. But they should also obey their parents because it's right. And those two things are certainly related. What does that mean? That which is right in Scripture refers to that which one is obligated to do. If it's right, you're obligated to do it. How do we know it's right for children to obey their parents? Because I said it? Because Pastor Aaron said it? Why? Why, Riker? And who's, where do we find that? In the, in the Bible. My boy, hey. I owe you a book today in the book nook, okay? All right. Speaking out bold. Let's look at Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents. In some things, no, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Obeying one's parents is pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because it is seen as obedience to the Lord. God has shown us what is right where? In his, in his word. I think I put this in your notes. Honoring one's parents is evidence of one's allegiance to the Lord. I mean, that's John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my what? You'll keep my commandments. What's the goal? We've looked at how. Let's look at why. Why obey our parents? Children are to honor their parents, and parents are to parent well for the honor and glory of of the Lord. This must motivate all that we do as Christians. Children, why honor and obey your parents? Because God is worthy, holy, and good. One more time. Where are my kiddos at? Raise your hands. Here's the question. Children, why honor and obey your parents? Because God is worthy, holy, and he's good, right? He tells us to do it, and he's good. What he says is good. It's right. So we do it because we love him, want to honor him. Parents, why parent well? Same answer, because God is worthy, holy, and he's good. Now, kids are in it today. One final word to parents before moving on to our final point. Why parent well? This was back in 2010, and I was vacuuming. 
and I was listening to a lecture, an Old Testament lecture. This was before podcasts. And the Old Testament professor said, and he had a weird voice, right? I remember he was like, I was like, oh, this is hard. It's, the content's great, but the voice is like nails on a chalkboard. I have a lot of kids. And you know how you can fulfill the Great Commission? I'm trying to do his voice. Have a lot of kids and then just send them out into the world to make disciples. And I said, amen. I'm not married yet, right? It's 2010, year before I get married. Like, that's, that's a good word, brother. Hey, if you're a parent, raise your hand. Is your quiver full? Has God blessed you with children? What are you sending out into the world? What are you sending out into the world? What happens in the home is meant to prepare them for the world. Amen? Are you bringing them to church? Are you doing family worship? Are you teaching them God's truth? What are you sending out into the world? Does that matter to you? It should. A great way to fulfill the Great Commission. Have a bunch of kids. Raise them in the Lord. Send them out into the world. Amen? Last question is this. How does Jesus fulfill the fifth commandment? There is one. Everybody say one. There is one. There is one who has obeyed his father perfectly on our behalf. And who is that? His father said go when he went willingly, joyfully. Amen? Who am I talking about? Jesus, the perfect son, the one who lived the life we could not live. He died the death on the cross that we should have died. And then he rose again from the dead, proving that he is king and that a way has been made open for sinners like us to be forgiven and brought into God's family. In Christ, we learn honor and obedience. And in Christ, we find the power to honor and obey. Amen? He shows us honor and obedience, and He empowers it in His people by the Spirit. Do you know the Son? Do you know the Son? I, I can say this confidently. You'll never be the parent or the child that God wants you to be until you turn from sin and trust in Jesus. But that can't be the primary motivation. The primary motivation for turning from sin and trusting in Jesus is because Christ is worthy. Amen? He's Savior and you're not. It's when you come to that point in your life when you acknowledge, man, I'm a wreck. Have you done that yet? I'm a wreck. I can't do anything to save myself. I need help. In fact, I need life. I'm dead. And if I trust in Jesus, what's the promise? Forgiveness and life forever with God. Amen? And when you trust in Jesus, you're forgiven and you're transformed. You're given new power by the Holy Spirit to live differently. And it affects everything. It affects your parenting. It affects your childrening. I made up that word. So if you've not trusted in Jesus, repent. Get off the throne and trust in him for salvation. Let me go with a few practice steps. Kevin DeYoung, uh, he wrote a great book on the Ten Commandments. And in this section, Exodus 20.12, he gives four simple ways that students, kids, where are my kids at, can honor their parents. And I had a fifth one for parents. So, number one, the first thing you can say is, yes, mom, or yes, dad, prompt kids, listen, prompt, cheerful, again, happy heart, prompt, cheerful obedience is a way to honor your father and mother. Hey, son, I need you to do that. Ugh. I don't want to. Oh, come on, man. Prompt, cheerful, happy heart, obedience is a way to honor your father and mother. Number two, the second thing you can say is thank you, dad. Thank you, mom. So be quick to convey gratitude. Amen? Tell them thank you for feeding you physically and spiritually. Number three, you can say I'm sorry. Now, this is probably harder than the first two. But it's important. It's how we honor our father and mother, right? I'm sorry. Just say, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. Or I knew better. I should have done that. And next time I will. <laughs> and this is for, so the first three are for children who still live at home. The fourth is for those who have moved out of the home. They've left and cleaved. To leave and cleave means you've what? You're now married, right? And that relationship is now the most important, other than your relationship with the Lord. So, how do, 
how do we, like someone like me, how do I honor my mom and dad who are here right now? Say hello. Stop by. Pick up the phone. Send a picture. Try to text if, if they know how. They might not. Snail mail. Write a letter. Again, if you're married, then you no longer relate to your parents in the same way. Your, your marriage relationship is now that most significant familial relationship. Right? You've learned to leave and cleave, and rightly so. However, marriage does not render parents useless and irrelevant. Children are to continue loving and caring for their parents, showing them gratitude and investing in those relationships for the glory of God. Last thing, and then I'm going to pray. Parents, where are you at? Raise your hands. This is for you, okay? This is the fifth application for parents. Parents, commit to training your children well in the Word. Amen? Commit to training your children well. This is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up your children in the way they should go. Do that. And we have several books on this subject in the book nook. I want to see parents just run to the book nook, just trampling over each other. I'm just kidding. Do it orderly, but that'd be wonderful. And finally, what did I tell my friend? Can't give them what you don't know. Commit to knowing the Word and exemplifying the Word for the sake of your children, for their good. Give your kids God's truth and model it before them. Amen? We're going to pray, and what I'm going to pray for this morning is for healthy holy home life here at Kelty's. Healthy, holy home life where parents are parenting well according to the word and where children, by the Lord's help, are honoring their parents and all this for the, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I hope all of us can just pause for a moment and think about what we're seeing here in Scripture. That God, before this, you rescue Israel. Not because of anything they did. They didn't deserve it. They grumble. They complain. They're, they're marked by an untrusting heart. And yet, God, you rescue them. You save them according to your grace and goodness. And then, on top of that, Father, you give them your word. And, and that's our story as well. We've been rescued. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we've been rescued by grace. And then we're given your word. And Father, your word shows us how to live in this world how to live in such a way that honors and pleases you. I pray for our students. Help them, O oh God, by your grace, to honor and obey their parents with a happy heart, to show reverence and respect, obedience and gratitude to their parents. I pray for our children today who don't know you, who are lost. Open their eyes to the beauty of Christ, to their sin nature. Move them, Holy Spirit, to repent, to turn from sin, and to trust in Jesus. I pray for our parents that they would take the task of parenting seriously, that they would invest in you, Lord, their relationship with you, that they would study and read your word first because they love you, God, and want to know you better, but secondly, because they want to give their children your truth. So, Father, I pray for every mom and dad in this room that they would parent well according to your word and always for your glory. I pray for a holy and healthy home life here at Kelty's. God, for your glory and the good of the church. And all God's people said, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen.